This episode of the Lead Machine Growth Show is brought to you by Lead Machine, the step-by-step tech easy system for getting leads online. Are you ready to start attracting your ideal audience right away? Join the five-day Lead Magnet Magic Challenge today at www.getleadmachine.com forward slash magic. Say goodbye forever to struggling with lead magnets and say hello to getting your offer seen by your ideal clients. Welcome to the Lead Machine Growth Show, where you will discover how to tackle your tech, master your message, and design your dream. Paul Guyen, the mastermind behind the Lead Machine, introduces you to trailblazers who inspire you to implement life-changing solutions and systems you can model to nurture your leads and get your offers seen by your ideal clients who will invest in themselves and you. Be sure you visit our website at www.leadmachinegrowthshow.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, tune in and get ready to transform your vision into reality. Good day, everyone. Knowing someone who can connect you with others is key to networking and referrals. Do you want to know a guy who knows a guy who can help you? Today, we'll explore the power of virtual events and learn proven strategies to enhance your networking skills and build genuine connections that propel your success. I'm Paul Guy, and welcome to the Lead Machine Growth Show, where passion meets entrepreneurship and dreams become reality. I'm the Lead Machine Coach, host, and international best-selling author, and tech and marketing nerd. I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs, coaches, you tackle their tech, master their message, and design their dream. Are you ready to unleash your full potential and achieve extraordinary results? Then you're in the right place. We'll dive deep into strategies, insights, and stories of trailblazers who have overcome obstacles of technology, marketing, and mindset and are making a huge impact on their audience and customers. So buckle up and get ready for an exhilarating ride filled with inspiration, motivation, and practical advice and a kick in the pants sometimes. Whether you're just starting out or looking to take your business to the next level, let's get this conversation started and turn your dreams into reality. So thanks for tuning in. Today's episode will delve deep into authentic relationships and meaningful connections through virtual events, just as we explore these strategies, tips, and insights to help you build genuine connections online and off, leveraging virtual events as a powerful tool for networking success and other other tricks I think our guest is going to have up his sleeve. Uh, I first met Michael at a virtual networking event. Ha, huh? how odd. Uh, one of the guest speakers, Dan Janelle, uh, actually promoted. I was on his list because I, I had interviewed him on my show, and I was on his email list. And he he brought up this uh, this uh, idea of a virtual network and something about a guy who knows a guy. And I went, "Wow, that sounds really cool." And since this event, I've interviewed two of the other guests from the virtual event on this show, and that's the true power of networking and virtual events. But uh, now let's learn how to cultivate those connections. Once we've made them, you've got to turn them into authentic relationships, don't you? I mean, otherwise, they're just a one-time meet and, and just like a one-night stand. So let's meet our guest. Michael Whitehouse is the guy who knows the guy. He's the one I've been talking about. Having run events, running events since uh, 1996, which is when my firstborn son was born, he was fascinated by the potential of virtual events uh, when everything went online in 2020. Uh, you know, I've been running events since I was about 12 years old, uh, being a rock and roll drummer. So I can I can relate. Uh, the events he saw were often dull and unengaging. Sometimes rock and roll events can be that way, uh, and a little better than a YouTube playlist. And he wanted and he demanded better, so he started running his own. Focusing on interaction over opt-ins, he creates events that are truly human experience across a virtual platform. Attendees and speakers come away with new connections, just like I mentioned, new ideas and often new prospects and partners. Now he runs a highly interactive, powerful, and fun events for clients to reach their audience and their message. And he's got a few more tricks up his sleeve and some new things that are happening. 
just we're on the wave of this new new uh, new advent of what he's working on so uh, michael welcome to the show i'm honored to have a guy who knows a guy thank you it's great to be here i'm honored to be invited yes it was uh it was uh dan janelle i believe was who mm-hmm. introduced us so uh, so i'm curious how can active listening and genuine curiosity contribute to building strong relationships through networking? I know pe- people are afraid to go to networks. They get uncomfortable. They don't know what to do. Uh, some people are super smart, but they're total inter- introverts and they need someone else to, to introduce. Once they have a conversation, they can, they can, they can usually hold their own and they're fine. But uh, listening is a, is a great skill. So, and I was, I was actually just talking to someone about that earlier today. That far fewer people are introverts than think they are. Um, a lot of them are shy, and I, I've been shy at network. I'm a pretty outgoing guy, but I go to a network event. I don't know anyone, and I'm like anyone else. I'm like, oh, I don't know who to talk to here. But this is what this is what stops people at networking events. They have been taught to focus on the wrong thing. There's a lot of network, a lot of networking advice out there uh and it's funny because there's actually very few networking influencers it's sales influencers and marketing influencers giving this bad networking advice so the bad advice they're giving is focusing on the sales stuff the prospects so they say you gotta have your elevator pitch you got six seconds to get their attention you've got to convince them of your value and what you can give them what you can do for them by which i mean the value proposition of your product and most people are uncomfortable selling in general they're uncomfortable selling to strangers and they're very uncomfortable selling in the first six seconds of meeting someone so you send them into a room full of strangers and say take your practice elevator pitch and throw it at people who obviously don't want to hear it and they don't want to hear it because they would like to throw their elevator pitch at you i mean they don't (laughs) want to because they're as uncomfortable as you are but it's the one thing they know they're supposed to do and they can't do it till you shut up so this creates a really awful dynamic of people who don't want to be in a space doing a thing they don't want to do that doesn't work anyway. What I recommend that completely turns this around is you go into every networking conversation looking to solve a problem. Your job is not to sell something. It is not to teach people about you. It is not to build your brand. It is to solve a problem. Every person you talk to, you need to find their problem and you need to figure out something you have to solve it. And there's three ways you can do that. An introduction, advice, or a product or service Rarely is most rarely the third one. It's most often the first one because if you're at a networking event, you've probably met other people. And if you just introduce the person you're talking to, to anyone else you've met in the room, you're doing them a service because they want to meet people and don't know how to approach them. So if you go into every encounter saying, how can I serve this person? What problem can I solve? The pressure's off. You're no longer thinking, how do I make a good first impression? How do I make sure they know the right thing? How do I get my value proposition across? You're not doing any of that. You're starting by asking them questions. What do you do? Who's your ideal referral? Who, who's your ideal person to meet here? You know, if, if this was the best networking event of your life, when you go home, what happened to make it that? Questions like that, that elicit the answers that let you serve them. After you've spent two, three, four minutes asking them about themselves and how you can help them, they're going to be desperate to find out what you do. You don't have to push your elevator pitch on them. They're going to be saying, Paul, Paul, please, for the love of God, tell me what you do. You're (laughs) helping me. You've already given me two pieces of advice and pointed out one person I should talk to. And I'm sitting here like a lump receiving this value and I need to give back. How do I help you? So by giving first, you create the desire in the other person to give back. And not everyone. Some people are going to be like, thanks, bye. Cool. On to the next person. Go serve more people. But they also yeah. might say, thanks, bye, and go, go to the next person and be like, oh, I just talked to Paul. He's the nicest guy in the world. You've got to talk to him. He is so helpful. So that's what I recommend for people who are uncomfortable with those networking events is go in with a desire to serve, serve and solve problems. And if you do that, stress goes away and you will make the impression you want to make yeah i I have to agree with that you know people when when you get people talking about themselves that's what they want to talk about and if you if if you never told them anything about yourself and you just focused on them like you said uh they'll go 
gosh, that was the best best conversation I've ever had. <laughs> Who was that masked man? It was all about them. <laughs> so what is the best way to introduce yourself once you've kind of broken your ice, uh, the ice, and to convey that? Because we're all itching and, and, and we, we all, okay, we can serve. We can serve and serve and serve, but it's gonna, they're going to come down to, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And so what do, you, what do you do? Well, I'm a realtor. Well, I got a realtor. I don't need to talk to you. So yeah. there's got to be a better way. So, so there's a seven-word introduction that I learned from a coach named Mitch Russo. And mm-hmm. it creates two sentences. And these two sentences are going to create questions. The first sentence starts with, you know how. And the second sentence starts with, what I do is. So for example, as the fun virtual events guy, you know how most events are, most virtual events are kind of dull and boring and hard to sit through. What I do is create fun, interactive, engaging virtual events where people make a lot of great connections. And when I say that, you probably have questions. And the questions could be, how long are the events? Or what are the topics of the events? Or do they cost money? Or how often do you run them? Or how'd you get into that? It doesn't matter what the question is. You've got a question. You're going to answer it. And now I can talk about myself. And the great thing is anyone can do this for us. You mentioned a realtor, right? You say, I'm a realtor. People like, yeah, yeah. The only thing worse than saying I'm a realtor is saying I'm a realtor and then explaining it. Because the number of times I've heard a realtor say, as if it's the first time it's ever been said, I'm a realtor. So what I do is I help people find their perfect home and get a good price for it. And I make the process simple for them. So if you know anyone looking to buy or sell a home, have you heard this from every single realtor you've ever met? It's like a script yeah. for them. And, and, I, and as soon as they say I'm a realtor, I'm like, you can stop there. I'll finish it for you if you want. Or we mm-hmm. can just save a minute and you can explain it. But if instead you say, you know how buying a home can be the most stressful process that someone ever has in their life. What I do is make home buying as easy as picking up a newspaper. And now, because realtors do different things. Some get you top dollar for your house. Some find you the perfect home. Some make it super easy. Some, um, you know, deal with the more complex, you know, find hard to find homes. They do different things. So with the, you know how what I do is, now you're interested. Because now you say, you know how it's the most stressful thing ever. That you're going to say that. Maybe you bought a home in the last few years and you're like, oh my God, it was so stressful. Yeah. What do you do to make it not stressful? A question is going to come from that. Now you're into a conversation. You know, it's, it's similar to if, if you're dating, the purpose of a pickup line is to start a conversation. No pickup line closes the deal. It opens the deal. So the introduction, never going to close the deal. It's going to open the conversation. So by using this, the seven word intro, the, the six figure intro, as I call it, uh, that will open the conversation, trigger those questions, as opposed to, I'm a financial advisor, I'm a life coach, I'm a fractional CFO, whatever it is, most times those titles end the conversation. I know what that is. We don't need to talk anymore. I don't need one. Thanks. Bye. On to the next one. Right. One of my um, mentors and former clients and speaker at some of my events um, her name is Ann Convery. She's a uh, uh, a public media trainer. Public, so she trains people how to be on how to, the nerd, how the nerd who made this discovery be on Oprah. She mm-hmm. would teach them how to how to uh, do that. Appeal to the lizard brain is what you what you're doing is mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying is you're you're opening that up when you say you know how you know you know how people really struggle with technology and they don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to put up or get leads online. Well, what I do is, and so people lean in when they hear things like that, because yeah, they struggle with technology and they don't want to deal with it because it sucks. And there's so mm-hmm. much of it. You don't even know how, you don't even know where to, uh, where to start. Yeah. So she, she teaches that same sort of thing uh, and, and gets people to lean in because of, because of that really, really super, super short attention span and mm-hmm. uh, being fun. And like, like we're having kind of a fun conversation and uh, you know, that's what people like. They they want to they want they want to be liked and they want to like people. Mm-hmm. And when they go, so when you go to one of those networking events, whether it's online or off, uh, like I think your event we had breakout rooms, mm-hmm. and for some that can be super intimidating. So what are some of the challenges that people feel? Do you think it's just that 
that uncomfortableness or, or just not knowing what to say? What, what is it? Uh, it, I think it's a few things. One is, again, that belief that they need to find a prospect and make a sale in the room, which is impossible and stressful. Yeah. So, and then failing that they don't know what to say because they know they, they can't just go into the room and say, buy my stuff, hopefully. But that then makes them even more uncomfortable. So they know what not to say. And so now you're like, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. But what do you say? And that's where the intro works. And that's what I found with, with my virtual events is so I used to send people off into breakout rooms. Um, and the, the value of a breakout room in a virtual event is it re-engages you. It gets your brain out of sleep mode. It jiggles the mouse and removes the flying toasters from your face um, <laughs> so that you're you're awake again. Zoom fatigue is, you know, just to slide into the uh, fun virtual event guy persona. Uh, Zoom fatigue is not caused by Zoom. It is caused by being disengaged on Zoom and simply trying yeah. to passively receive information for hours on end. So I used to send people into breakout rooms to serve the effect of in a live event between speakers, you'll turn to the guy next to you and you'll ask them a question or say something. Well, you can't do that on Zoom. So I send you to a breakout room for a couple minutes. I then got feedback from people that me saying, say whatever's on your mind doesn't work because people are like, well, I don't know what's on my mind. And <laughs> so I started giving the prompt of use the seven word intro. Yeah. Uh, you know, I teach that at the beginning. I teach it throughout as people come and go. And I'd say, use seven word. That, that's your only instruction for the breakout room. Use your seven word intro, make sure everyone gets a chance to do that and then let the conversation flow because it will once um, once everyone's spoken once. But is that yeah. breaking the ice? Is that saying the first thing? And that that's why the why the seven word intro is so powerful because it it gets things going. I do some uh, speaker training as well. And I teach uh -huh. what I call the circus tent method, which is basically you memorize the first two sentences and then three tent poles, thus circus tent. So your three key points, and then your last two sentences. And so those first two are the most important because if you don't, if you're like, oh, I'm going to say something around this, that's when you get up on stage and you go, uh. but if you know your first two sentences are going to be whatever they're going to be, you've got those memorized, you get up on stage, you hit play in your brain, those two sentences come out, you're not going to freeze up on your third sentence. It's your first word you're going to freeze up on. So same thing with having that introduction. And I think a lot of people choke on prepared elevator speeches because maybe they have a 37 second introduction and they've got it memorized and it's good. But all of a sudden they're like, do people want to hear my 37 second introduction? Is this the right place for this? Is this too much? Is it too pushy? I don't know. But no one's going to mind. There's a problem in the world. Here's a solution I create. Done. And it's so short. People are going to be like, and, and tell me more. So I, I think what freezes people up is they just don't know what to say when they go into the room. And, and so it ends up being really awkward because you can sometimes have an entire room full of people who don't know how to introduce themselves <laughs> yeah. uh, or they ramble. So not knowing what to say, they say everything and they give their life story, but not in any sort of linear, interesting way, just in a rambling, meandering, circular way going back on itself. Um, and, and another thing I will share on the, the virtual events, something not to do, if I may, is mm -hmm. uh, so often people, often the organizer will say, put your contact information in the chat, which is totally fine. Uh, you're going to get some people who are honestly reaching out saying, hey, let's connect. You know, some people trying to pitch you, whatever. But, you know, put your info in the chat. What you should not do is put more than a couple sentences in the chat because consider the environment. You're in Zoom. Someone's talking at all times. So if you ever tried to read a paragraph while someone's talking, it's very difficult. You have to intentionally tune out the person talking to focus on the paragraph. So if you're dropping paragraphs in the chat saying, I've been doing this since 1997 and I do this and I got this background and I help these blah, 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 blah. You are effectively asking the audience to tune out the primary content to pay attention to your introduction out of context. It's right. a little bit rude. It also just doesn't work. No one's going to read it. So people may grab your email address and send you an email and say, hey, let's get on a call so I can pitch you or whatever. But very few are actually going to read this. Uh, and if you think people are going to save the chat and go back and read your bio, there's this lovely bridge down in New York, down the road that I can sell you <laughs> for a great price. Because um, people don't do it. 
I, I don't I don't know about you. I've never downloaded a chat and gone back through and like read all the bios of all the people in there, partly because most of them aren't that well written. And mostly because I'm lazy. I don't have time to go back and read through a 20-page chat log. But what I'll drop in the chat is I'm the fun summit guy, three upcoming stages, boom, 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 links. Because then someone's like, I want to get on stages. Oh, speaker application, click. Or, you know, follow me on LinkedIn, link, click. So they can so, understand. So calls to action. Words. Yeah, they can read eight words, be like, LinkedIn, yes, follow you there. They open up the window, they'll deal with it later. And it's it's not demanding of their mental energy and time. It lets them engage with with the corner of their mind they have available while they're also doing something else on the event. Gotcha. So in other words, calls to action to, to connect with you or to, or, or uh, something that's part of your brand that, that helps you yeah. brand yourself, like connecting you to the good guys is part of your brand. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. And, I, and I calls guess. action that are, are readily apparent what the value is. Um, yeah. So, you know, don't say like, learn about my coaching program, get on a discovery call with me. I don't know you or your coaching program, but yeah. get on my stage. Most speakers want stages. So yeah. that's valuable. Uh, get my, it could even be, um, I mean, it's a little weird doing a networking group, but it could even be um, get my five tips to more effective networking and I'll link to that. Somebody might be like, I could use more effective networking. It just has to be something that in the course of one sentence, they can say, I need that. I'm going to grab that. Right. Right. Excellent. So now that we've made some connections, how do we follow up and stay connected with these uh, after these these virtual events or network networking interactions or however we meet? How do we keep keep connected? Uh, so there's two parts. That one is the follow up call, the actual one to one virtual coffee, whatever you want to call it, and then there's beyond the virtual coffee or follow up call. Um, so, you know, if you want to connect with someone, you get on a call and, and on that call, you're looking for, how can I serve you? How can we work together? Have a clear idea of what you want. You're not going to lead with, I want this, but you know, know what you're looking for. So when they say something like, how can I help you? You don't look at them like a deer in the headlights. But <laughs> after that meeting, most people you meet with, you're going to say, okay, this was a good meeting. Great. We're not going to collaborate. We're not going to work together there's no clear path forward. Maybe I'll get on your podcast but then what? And there's two, two tools I have used for this. One is, of course, I'm a networking guy. So I've got uh, a monthly networking event called the Networking Gathering. I'm launching something called the Entrepreneur Village, which is a weekly uh, networking community. So I can invite people to be part of that community, part of a community, part of. But you may not want to launch your own networking community. What I have made very good use of is email. Um, mm -hmm. what is commonly called email marketing. I don't like that term for what I do because email marketing makes you think of when you get an email from Kohl's with all the latest styles and 20% coupon, which is absolutely not what I do. I use yeah. email like a personal social media platform. So on email, I will talk about taking my daughter to the beach last week or this thing that happened at a retreat or a new idea that I learned or this thing that's ticking me off in the industry or, you know, it, I'm just this guy with a microphone and a keyboard and I'm going to talk to you about some stuff. Yeah. And I use it because there was, a, there was a point earlier on when I was meeting 20 people a week, I couldn't follow up with 20 people a month. I probably couldn't follow the 20 people a quarter and still have a business doing anything other than following up with these people. So, you know, I was meeting sometimes 70, 80, 100 people a month. And there's no way I could effectively follow up with all of them. There's no point in having one meeting with all of them and then never talking to them again. So I started using email, you know, email marketing tools and sharing content that was me, my stories, my opinions, my ideas. And then I started sharing a resource letter. So after the signature, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, here's some great things from good people I know you may be interested in. And below that are resources. And uh, that's sometimes freebies, it's sometimes events, it's sometimes offers. Because what I realized was people like to shop. They like to know what's going on. They like to have vetted recommendations. 
If I go to a great bar and I say, hey, Paul, I went to this great bar down the street. You should check it out. You're not going to be like, Michael, stop pitching me. You're going to say thanks <laughs> for the recommendation because right. it provides value. If I say I know someone who's really good at training speakers and you're a speaker, you're not going to say stop pitching me. You're going to say, oh, really? He's got a free webinar? Yeah, I'd like to check that out. And then whether or not you want to buy the thing he's offering at the end of the webinar, that's up to you. But I'm very careful that anyone I recommend provides value. I don't recommend anyone who's who's offering a, a one of my biggest pet peeves is those webinars that claim they're going to teach you something and then don't actually teach you anything. And it's all pitch. It's one thing to say, right. I'm going to give you a bunch of free knowledge for 90 minutes and then make an offer. That's that's a fair exchange of value. But I, I don't promote those the pitchy pitchy ones. I promote things of value. I know this guy. He knows a bunch of stuff. You should go check it out. He's going to teach you something. Maybe you want his program. Maybe you don't. That's going to be up to you. But I provide that value. And so through email, I'm able to connect with an audience. Because, um, you know, as I'm meeting them one by one, they are individuals. And then I meet hundreds of them. And they become an audience and a community. And a lot of that's a matter of mindset. It's, I, you know, I don't think of the people I send emails to as prospects. I sort of, I, I guess audience is the right word, but I really think of that as a community. Uh, I think of them as when I send out an email, I'm sending out to 2,100 of my closest friends. And it's having yeah. that mindset allows you to engage with the group um, on that larger scale. And because I think of them all as my friends, if a friend were to reach out to me and say, hey, Michael, could you recommend, you know, I'm trying to find a job. Do you have any pointers for me? Yeah, of course, I got pointers for you. You're a friend. So anyone I'm sending those emails to, they're a friend. So if they reply and say, you know, could you recommend a good service? Could you, you know, I need help with this. Or could you give me a quick piece of advice with that? Now, if they do it regularly, then that that's where we go from friend to client. And I've got programs for that. But if they just need a little bit of help or recommendation, I'm happy to do that for them. You know, if they need an introduction to someone, hey, I'm looking for someone who can, uh, I don't know. My my wife's having issues with her blood sugar and she can't get under control. Do you know someone who specializes in that? Yeah, sure. I'll connect you to my guy who does that. I'm the guy who knows a guy. And so because I treat everyone like a friend, I don't keep score. I don't worry about what they've done for me. I help them out. It's It effectively creates something like friendship at scale. Because um, I've always been actually really bad at maintaining friendships in the traditional way of like sending birthday <laughs> cards and flowers and remembering wife's names and whatnot. But <laughs> most of that is a placeholder for the actual service we do for people we're in, in relationship with. So the reason why you want to make sure someone sends you a card and remembers your birthday and all that is because that's a placeholder for if I need them, they're going to be there. And so because they kept doing these things, they'll probably be there when I need them. So I I can invoke generalized reciprocity. I will serve them. They will serve me. And we do it in these micro connections. I'm bad at the micro connections. I just do the service thing. So, you know, I'll connect people to people that they should know and I'll provide resources and teach them things and whatnot. And so it creates a generalized reciprocity dynamic where I don't have to keep track of what I've done for them. They don't have to keep track of what I've done. They've done for me and I can help people at scale. Um, and because, you know, if, if you get serious networking, you're going to meet a lot of people. So you yeah. can't just, um, I, I guess the other way to do it would be have some kind of advanced technology that keeps track of follow up with this person and send this and whatnot. But at a certain point at that scale, you're still using technology to connect. Um, you're just using technology to make it look like you're individually paying attention. You know, the software that sends out a, a that sends out a heartfelt greeting on their birthday that you didn't write. Um, so I just stick with the authenticity, but it, it's, it's, it ultimately comes down to coming at it from the right place. Whatever technology you're using, whatever systems, processes, whatever, it's about how are you thinking about the people that you are interacting with? Are you thinking of them as, as prospects, as piggy banks, as something that you can hit, you know, pinatas to hit with a stick and make candy come out? Or are you thinking of them as people <laughs> that you can serve and provide value to and in the due course of time, value will come back out of the value you put into the universe. And I like the second one. I agree. So how in the heck do you, you've got all these connections? Is it through the, um, 
the virtual events uh, that you've gotten all these opportunities to connect with people. Talk about. Let's talk about for a minute about your virtual events. Sure. Um, so uh, no, the the connections didn't come from the events, although many have okay. come from since. Um, uh-huh. Because I started running the events at scale to like I run about four a month now. That started in February of this year. Okay. But um, yeah, I got started just by going to originally before I knew how to discern. Just I went to any networking event I could get invited to because there's always good people at every event. Even the worst events have a few good people. Um, and then I started learning how to find better and better events. So there's a higher density of people who were, you know, who were really worth connecting with. Um, but the virtual events I started running because I love meeting people. I know that's a surprise, probably a shocking plot twist that I like meeting people, but <laughs> I like meeting people. I like going to events to meet people. I like going to in-person events to meet people Well, that costs, you know, gas and hotel and flights and all that. So I saw virtual events. I'm like, this is going to be great. I can just sit on my computer and meet people. How awesome is that going to be? Except the events I went to didn't do that. It was a lot of pre-recorded events. It was a lot of talking head events where it's just speaker, 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 blah, 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 blah. And so I'd go to these events and I'd sit there for six hours and not meet anyone. Well, I usually wouldn't stay that long. I would sit there long enough to realize I wasn't going to meet anyone and I was out. If I want to watch a YouTube video, I'll watch a YouTube video. I don't need to sit at an event at a certain time to listen to someone talking to me. So I had trouble finding the kind of events where you could really get good connection. So I started creating them. And uh, it was a long journey of trial and error. And some things worked and some things didn't work and some things worked and then didn't work because the world changed a couple times in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I ultimately settled on was a six hour format with 10 speakers where each speaker speaks for 15 minutes. And then there's some kind of interactive block in the other 15 minutes. So it's alternating speaker interaction, speaker interaction. And we'll do breakout sessions. We'll do hot seats where someone steps up and says, hey, I've got this challenge. And any of the speakers who are on the call who have insights can share them, which is tremendously valuable. Uh, Every time we do a hot seat, it's an amazing experience for pretty much everyone in the room. Um, Sometimes we'll do Q&A or open roundtables or free-flowing discussions or whatever is appropriate based on how many people in the room, how engaged they are, what's going on. But the point is that somehow twice an hour, there's a chance for the audience to get into the event. And now we have people who come to the events, their their cameras off the whole time. I don't even know if they're there. They're lurkers. That's totally fine. They're welcome. Um, But the people who get the most value are the ones who participate in the event. They they raise their hand for the hot seat. Speaker asks for volunteer. They're like, ooh, me, me, me. And we've had some people, and I've learned to start prompting people and tell them, don't worry about hogging, hogging the stage. I just won't call on you if you raise your hand too much. So raise your hand for everything you want to do. Because we've had some events that are lower attendance. You know, you never know with a live event. Sometimes they're higher, sometimes lower. We had events with lower attendance where one person has basically been the go-to volunteer through the entire day. And if you're a speaker and you need a volunteer, you need a volunteer. So by volunteering, they're serving. And this person gets has gotten all this coaching from all these speakers. They got in the hot seat. They got their speech written. They got their brand selected. They they worked on new uh, a new catchphrase. They developed their introduction line. And they come out of it, they're like, and that was free? Amazing. Because they raised their hand. But I, you know, obviously I, I prefer to have an event where there's more people and more hands are going up. And so, yeah. so but sometimes it's just an amazing experience because one you would get to watch one person take this journey from one st- one speaker to the next to the next but the point is the goal with these events is always to create interaction with the speakers and the audience um so the speakers meet each other so they often find new friends partners joint venture partners clients mentors whatever um and also connecting um also connecting the audience to those people so I ran an event in August 2021 that was probably the biggest flop I ever ran. I had something like 21 speakers booked and 17 people showed up, which means four of the speakers didn't show up. Um, It was not a highly (laughs) successful event. And I said to the speakers, sorry, the event didn't go well because no one showed up. And one of the speakers said to me, what are you talking about? What do you mean no one showed up? What am I, chopped liver? There's 17 people here. Yeah. And not just 17 people, 17 best people. There are 17 speakers. There are 17 professional experts with audiences and a lot of experience. And there was none of those pesky audience members in the way. So they could just hang out with each other. 
And it basically turned into a mastermind. And once I did, ah. once I looked at that, I realized, you know, I realized, oh, the value proposition of this is different than I thought. Because what you've got is a round table of experts. You know, you've got almost like what happens in the green room of a live event. But the audience gets to hang out in the green room because there's no separate rooms. There's just the room. So yeah. I, I've created the space where the speakers are sharing because they're speaking for an audience. But there's other speakers in the audience and the audience is in the audience. And so everyone gets to mingle together. And there's this level of access and connection you don't usually see even at live events, let alone virtual. I mean, you know, it's what you get in the bar after a live event when the speakers, yeah. the audience are all mingling together and they're loosening their ties if they're wearing ties and drinking a beer. We do that on the Zoom call. I mean, it's up to you if you want to drink a beer, but it's it's a place where all the everyone can mingle together and really have access to each other to build those connections. Wow, that's awesome. I love that model. What? How do you... Well, so you invite a bunch of speakers and you said mm -hmm. six, six hours, hour format. Did you say 10 speakers or six speakers? Yeah, ten, 10 live speakers. And then 15 minutes, breakouts, hot seats, Q&A, et cetera. Um, so how do you fill these events? Obviously, the the you 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 choose speakers who have an audience. Right. Yeah. And, right? and so that's how we fill it. The speakers uh, commit to promoting to their audience. They are committed mm -hmm. to bring at least 10 registrations, which is actually fairly low. Uh, for yeah. most events, but I don't just want the speakers with a 10,000 person audience. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's speakers who can get 40 people to register and two of them show up. So that doesn't do a whole lot. I mean, it builds my list, which is nice, but doesn't make the event better. So I, I found that 10 is actually a good target because the people who, the speakers who have more of an audience, more pull, they'll, they don't stop at 10. They, they bring in a good number. But it also means that some people who are really expert at what they do, but their list is 192 people. So they can get 10, but that involves sending out some private invites and some some text messages to be like, hey, I'm doing an event. You just come to it. And those are often the best people to have at the event because they didn't just yeah. get it from a list. They got a private invitation. But uh, one way or another, I, I don't specify send three emails or how big your list has to be or anything. I say get 10 people. And, you know, 10 real people, not 10 made up email addresses, but get 10 people. I don't care if you get them by email, social media, carrier pigeon, telepathy, or it's putting up a bad <laughs> signal. As long as they register and some of them will show up, we're good. And the result of that is we get about 125 to 300 people registering for each event and about 20 to 45 live on the call throughout the day. Um, and we keep a pretty steady attendance throughout the day because it's highly engaging. But yeah. that tends to be, a, I find it's actually a good size. When I first started, I had a bit, little bit of, um, you know, attendance envy because I look at these events, they're getting 400 people. And I wish my events on 400 people. And then I realized when you have a foreign person event, it, it's it's a different vibe than a 40 person event. 40 person event, you can raise your hand and be pretty confident you're going to get called on. You know, you right. go into break, when we go into breakout rooms, you're going to throughout the day, get in breakout rooms with almost everyone. You're going to get to meet most of the people there. 400 person event, it's, it's, you know, it's a herd mm, moving forward. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. I've been on events with uh, with breakout rooms and there were thousands on the event. Mm -hmm. And it was, the chat was just, a, it was like a ticker tape, just yep. rolling past. And, uh, and there was some really interesting stuff. And you want to uh, save the chat because, oh, I wanted to meet that person. You know, and it's mm -hmm. it's difficult. So yeah, I agree. The smaller events are are nice. Which so, also gets back to the advice of why you should not put your life story in the chat and keep it short. Yeah. Because when everyone's because when you those big events, you got these people dropping these big blocks of text in there. No oh, one's going back that. to that, and no. you're ruining the chat. Like you can't read the chat because it's big giant blocks of text. And 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 that's also the event organizer. The event organizer should be stopping people from doing that and giving them a format to post in the chat if they're because otherwise the chat just becomes useless it's a it's a ticker tape yeah so you should have some have some rules for the for the event um i find the event or the uh, chat uh valuable sometimes when like when a person's in a hot seat and there's mm -hmm. questions that that they're kind of you know the speaker or the coach are in the in the hot cd are having a discussion and then there's some great input about mm -hmm. here had you thought about this had you thought about this yep. hey boy 
here's another angle. And so the chat can be really valuable there, especially when you're doing those masterminds and hot sheet hot seats. So I, I found that to be, and it's it's useful in a small group. Mm-hmm. Almost impossible to capture that in a big group. Yeah. So as far as your registrations, you don't really have a, a big process, just kind of an expectation when yeah. you uh, when you invite invite the people. Yeah, so how do you how do you find good events to go to? You 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 uh, it. The event I, I uh, attended was something about um, events your events that don't suck. Mm-hmm. And so, how do I find events that don't suck? And the, that would be obviously I want them to be in the things I'm interested in. But yeah, uh, I'm interested in networking and and finding my audience and maybe guests for my podcasts or or whatever. So unfortunately, there's not a good answer because mm-hmm. the events that do suck. Want to make you think they don't suck. They're easy to um, find. <laughs> yeah. Well, but the problem is that that sometimes good events have followed the copywriting mold of bad events. So they sound the same. Uh, and bad events follow the copywriting, you know, write copy to make them sound like good events. Um, but you know, you and this this is why I personally am strongly attached to authenticity and honesty and language. So like if we're talking about a pre-recorded summit, I do not call it an event. It's not an event. A web page with recordings on it isn't an event. An event means something that happened at in a place in time, even if that place yeah. is the internet. But it happened in a certain, you know, place and time. It had a beginning, it had a middle, and it had an end. Having a website that's open at certain times and closed other times isn't an event. That's a library that you have access to at certain times. So I don't call that an event. I call an event something where things are actually happening. Um, so one thing you can look for is if it talks about you know interaction and engagement and there will be networking, you'll meet people. But unfortunately, too few events focus on that because they think you care about who the speaker is and what they're going to talk about. Mm. And I, I don't know about you. I've very rarely seen something that said they're going to talk about this and said oh i can't wait to hear about that but of course i'm also a super connector so i've heard either a podcast or a video or had a conversation with someone about any of these topics the best way to find good events is probably word of mouth so talk to people you know and ask them what good events have you gone to now the challenge is a lot of events are standalone one-offs Somebody runs an event once. Oh, I went to a great event last week. Are they doing it again? No, they're not. You missed it. Um, so that's the other challenge is somebody might run a good event and never run it again. But it's, uh, unfortunately, it really is a mix of, you know, ask people, uh, trial and error, go to events. I I would say you know, there's a lot of free events out there. And so if you if you see an event that looks like it might be good, block out the time and then get comfortable with leaving. So if, if there's an event, three-day event, block out those three days in your calendar and then spend an hour and a half, you know, commit an hour and a half to say, is this kind of event I thought it would be? And if it's not, you don't have to spend three days, get out. Right. You don't have to, you know, now if you spend, spend money on it, I mean, a lot of events are 50 bucks, hundred bucks. They're not, they're not a big investment. Um, but yeah, just just kind of be aware of what kind of event you might be going to, um, what might be there. But you know, get comfortable if you if you have paid if you paid fifty bucks to be there, and it turns out that it's not really holding your attention, you're not getting value out of it. Don't throw good time after bad money. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, don't fall for the sunk <laughs> cost fallacy. You paid fifty bucks, but it turns out to be a crappy event. Just leave, and because it, usually it's it's what was promised. You just hoped it'd be more. They say, we're going to have these speakers teaching this. And you get there and yeah, those, those speakers teaching that, but that's it. Kind of open for an event. But yeah, there's really not, I, I don't know of any good way to find good events other than um, try them out. And there's some, you know, some good networking groups where, where you will find, uh, like Frank Egan runs a great event called, um, can name what escapes me. Frank Hagen runs uh, Am Spirit, which is a networking organization. He has a, a free monthly event on the second Wednesday of the month. Um, you know, there's uh, 
Robert Goodwin, Robert Butwin, um, because with Robert, you can't help but win. Robert Butwin has a list of networking <laughs> events. Um, if you go to his his website, he has a, it's like a PDF, two pages long. It's all these different recurring networking events he's familiar with. Um, huh. So, but it, and, and a lot of them are free to attend. So you can just kind of drop in and try and, and see, or, you know, just follow me around and go to all of my summits and attend the Entrepreneur Village and weekly networking gathering. And that'll be, yeah, that, that that's something like 10 events a month. So you could just enter my ecosystem and go to all my events and not go to anyone else's. That's also a solution. I'm not yeah. saying you to do it. I'm just saying those are the only events I can attest are good. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about your entrepreneur village for a minute. You uh, you sent out an email yesterday, and and you you had you kind of spilled the beans on on some new direction. Mm-hmm. I think it's just an extension of what you already do, uh, but it was interesting to me. So t- tell me about this new direction. I know you're you're still the guy who knows the guy. That's yeah. who you are. Yeah. Uh, well, so, so so I in January, I, I was getting away from the guy who knows a guy. Cause I'm like, well, I'm the guy who knows a guy, but what do you buy from the guy who knows a guy? And I don't know how to, to market that. And I'm going to be the fun virtual event guy. I'm going to run events and people can hire me to run events. And then I realized that's a product I offer. It's a service. It's something I'm very good at. It's not who I am. Like there's a difference between who you are and what you do. Running virtual events, it's what I do. The guy who knows a guy, that's who I am. So mm-hmm. the virtual events that create the connections and bring the people together, that's a way I express being the guy who knows guy. Um, the Entrepreneur Village is another way because, as I'm sure you know, loneliness is epidemic in the Western world. Um, almost like it's intentional. So we have social media where we have kind of fake connection. We have you know all these things, but a lot of people don't really have any friends. They don't have people to count on. And then that goes double for entrepreneurs because the friends you do have don't understand what you do with your time. They don't understand your lifestyle. They don't understand what's important to you. So you're, if, even if you do have friends, they don't understand your life and what matters to you. So then I learned or was reminded that when people are lonely and isolated, they're easy to take advantage of. So you see a lot of uh, MLMs out there, you know, multi marketing. Now, some of the com- some MLMs are great companies and they're great opportunities and they're totally legit. Others, however, take advantage of people's loneliness and isolation and basically give them a group of company friends and get them hooked on the company so they can't leave and then say, you must do this, this, and this, or you're going to lose all your friends. Um, you also see a lot of uh, coaching programs and uh, you know masterminds groups like that, that either honestly or nefariously take advantage of that isolation so that, you know, you'll find your community here. So give us a thousand dollars a month and we'll also give you some training and support, but the desperate need people have is for community. And that's why they fork over the money so they can get in there. And again, the good ones are doing it because they want to serve and they're providing great value and also community. The less good ones are simply, ha ha, you have a need and we're going to take your money to fill it. And sort of fill it, which means we keep you always slightly unsatisfied so that you remain stuck to us. So I thought, what if I created a community that just sought to solve that problem and bring people into my community? Um, And then once there, I could recommend trustworthy good guy partners because they're going to need to buy a CRM system. They're going to need to buy a whatever. I can make some affiliate commission off that. But the primary purpose is creating the community that solves that isolation. Um, you know, I'm not isolated because I'm the guy who knows a guy. I network impulsively. I talk to 20 people a week. I was more connected after 2020 than less because I'm weird. Most people became more isolated because they didn't know where to find people. They didn't know where to connect. Every place they would connect wanted money. So it was paid networking groups, paid mastermind groups, paid, you know, the restaurants want money, coffee shops want money. Wherever you're going, they want money if you're going to hang out with people. So I thought, what if I create a space where I don't ask for your money? Uh, and that way people can find that connection they need. They can find that peer group. They can find people understand as only other entrepreneurs can what we're going through. Uh, and it's a simple 90 minute a week group. It's a place where people can share their celebrations. They can share their their request for resources. It's not so much a place to be like, here's the ideal customer, send them to me. It's more a matter of, does anyone know a good graphic designer? 
uh, or I'm running into this challenge. Um, does anyone know a good you know resource where I can can get this solved? It's a place for people to meet each other. They'll be encouraged to do offline conversations and actually build relationships outside. And it's basically a starting point to get past the isolation, the double isolation of both living in 2023 in the Western world and being an entrepreneur living in 2023 in the Western yeah. world. Um, right. And yeah, and people can find that at uh, guywhoknowsaguy.com slash village. And all I ask is an email address so that I can send out the Zoom link and the reminder that we meet every Friday. Outstanding. Well, as we wrap up with your final words, what are three things our listeners can do today? And by the by the way, I really enjoyed uh, our discussion today, and uh, I'm really interested in this village. So, as we wrap up, final words: What are three things our listeners can do today? put these ideas into action three things so the first one would be go into every encounter every conversation seeking ways to serve the person you're talking to uh, the second is that introductions are the easiest form of value you can provide even if you don't have anything you don't have two nickels to rub together you probably know somebody who the person you're talking to would benefit from knowing and the third thing is to remember that whatever it is you're trying to do, there's probably someone in the world who could say yes to it. And if you can get in a conversation with them, there's a decent chance they might say yes. And then it's just a matter of networking and figuring out who in your community knows the person you need to know to get that yes. Wow. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for that. Um, speaking of the Entrepreneur's Village, Mm-hmm. Mike would like to offer you offer you free access to the Entrepreneur's Village, as he said. It just takes an email. So, uh, because everyone knows it takes a village to raise a business, right? So, go to www.guywhoknowsaguy.com forward slash village. That's www.guywhoknowsaguy.com forward slash village. Well, thank you again, Michael, for being on. And uh, we're going to sign off here. And remember, Faith and action go hand in hand, so put the pedal to the metal. And until next time on the Lead Machine Growth Show, I'm Paul Guyon. So long for now. Thank Thanks, you. Michael. Thank you for tuning in to the Lead Machine Growth Show with Paul Guyon, where we show you how to tackle your tech, master your message, and design your dream so that you can transform your vision into reality. Remember to visit our website at www dot lead machine growth show dot com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one again while you're here subscribe to us via your favorite network we look forward to seeing you next time on the lead machine growth show Music.